Hello, and welcome to Exploring Axon, a podcast where we discuss Axon Framework, Axon Server, and their ecosystem. I am your host and a software developer at Axonic, Sarah Tori. In this episode, I spoke with my colleague and friend, Ivan Dugalic, about different aspects of the DDD architectural design, such as bounded contexts and aggregates. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and let's have a listen. Hi, Ivan. How are you doing today? Hi, Sarah. I'm doing good. How are awesome. you? I'm doing great. So excited to uh, joining uh, forces with you again to talk about some really cool stuff. I love when we have uh, sessions and we get to talk about some really cool things. And so this is uh, pretty much my favorite oh. time of today. So <laughs> thanks for joining me. Um, Ivan, can you tell me a little bit about your background, your education, career-wise, um, and also where you're located? Oh, yeah. Sure. So really looking forward to this, Sarah. My name is Ivan, Ivan Dugalic. Uh, I'm located in Serbia, Belgrade, Europe, <laughs> world. Uh, <laughs> right. uh, yes, I'm, uh, I'm working as a, a lead solutions architect at Axonic for almost uh, three years now. Uh, my education is uh, uh, I, I, I studied uh, mathematics uh, and computer science uh, nice. at the university in Belgrade uh, for five years, long time ago, uh, like, <laughs> I think uh, 14 years ago or something like that. Yeah, and uh, I'm really looking forward, uh, you know, having this chat with you. Uh, so, uh, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thank you. And um so Ivan, a lot of the uh, your responsibilities basically when you talk to uh, clients or partners is uh, in regards to architectural design of um, DDD-centric applications, event-sourced applications. Um, can you tell me a little about how you uh, began to really get interested about this particular topic of DDD? and also event-driven architecture. What got you interested in mm -hmm. that whole topic? Yeah. So when I was uh, beginning uh, with uh, working in this industry of ours, right, uh, mm -hmm. I was, I think, usually jumping into a source code and let's say a modeling information system immediately right. uh, without doing a little bit upfront thinking in design, right? And even if I did it uh, in a way, uh, it was not really good. Uh, it was not really effective. So DDD essentially is a um, set of patterns, uh, one would say, right, that can help you explore the problem at first, right? So this, this was the main reason why I actually jumped into a, a domain-driven design, uh, because it gave me a, a better way of... Um, exploring the problem space, right? Exploring what really the problem is, what are the requirements, and what are the motivations behind these requirements as well. Right. And uh, lately, we are also uh, spent some time, like within the team at Exonic, to find out the tools and, let's say, the workshop formats that can help us with this discovery process, like, you know, right. discovering what really the problem is, and then modeling that problem in in transparent way, so it's clear to everybody, business of course included, uh, and also engineering. So it, right. it, it was very important that we actually understand 
these problems from two sides, from the business perspective right. and from the technical perspective, from the engineering perspective as well. This is where DDD really helps. DDD even formalized this uh, more uh, by, as I mentioned before, introducing this set of patterns and uh, we can divide them into a tactical set of patterns, mm -hmm. which we are going to talk about maybe later on, like aggregates, yes. entities, value objects, what they are, why do we need them? And also strategic patterns, like for example, uh, when you zoom out and you, you and you actually want to observe all of your systems that you have in the landscape, uh, how they are connected, who is uh, depending on whom, and things like that. Uh, these patterns are bounded contexts, bounded context mappings, uh, prioritization of subdomains like core, supporting, generic. So yeah. Uh, there are a lot of these patterns. Uh, these are, uh, uh, we actually like to use quite often, and uh, mm -hmm. I would be eager to explore and explain them more to a broader audience if needed, Sarah, today. Awesome. Really fantastic um, things that you work on. And when you and I first uh, started working together to create the uh, blog series that we did, uh, which was mm -hmm. the From Event Model to uh, to Code, um, it was a real fantastic opportunity for me to learn a lot from you because you're um, really, in my opinion, an expert in, in this field and you explain things very easily and very um, in a way that it's really comfortable to understand. So <laughs> um, hopefully we can clear out some of these more complex topics when it comes to uh, making these decisions and uh, how to... Uh, basically organize things, uh, first of all, in our minds and also bringing it down into mm -hmm. a sort of model format and then later on into code. So um, going back to the uh, more high-level DDD concepts, one of the concepts that you mentioned and we have talked about extensively in the past is bounded context. Tell me a little bit about bounded context. And the reason why today I want to focus on that a little bit was um, I had a conversation with one of our other colleagues who is uh, non-technical last week and uh, the term bounded context and aggregate were being used sort of uh, interchangeably and at one point in the conversation i had to stop that individual and say these are actually different mm. concepts so bounded context is not the same as aggregate and vice versa so let's uh, clear it out a little bit and explain sure. it everybody really understands what bounded contexts are in the first place and then we'll go into a little bit more detail um, and talk about aggregates and some other. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, sure. Cool. Uh, easy task, right? <laughs> Sarah, thank you very much for this easy question. <laughs> my pleasure is my job to throw you right in there. <laughs> <laughs> to the wolves. I know. I know. Exactly. Have uh, fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, we can start with a formal definition. Uh, let's start uh, right. uh, by, uh, you know, introducing some categorization. So first of all, bounded context is a strategic pattern in DDD and aggregates are tactical patterns in DDD. Right. Uh, and they live in different layers of abstractions. Uh, I will explain all of that as we go. Uh, for now, let's focus on definition of what bounded context really is. So one of the definitions, uh, most probably uh, propagated by Martin Fowler, as I remember, was that DDD actually divides up a large systems into a bounded context, right? right. Uh, essentially dividing a problem into smaller chunks, into smaller 
subdomains, right? And we model each of these subdomains as independent bounded contexts, right? Mm -hmm. And each of these bounded contexts have a unified model. Essentially, it's a way of structuring multiple canonical models, right? So this is a really nice definition, but what really means, let's, let's explain that, okay? Let's dissect it, yeah. So let's do that by example. Uh, I always like to use examples uh, because uh, uh, I think it's more clear to a broader audience if I do so. Definitely. So let's just start. Imagine a restaurant and you're running a restaurant and uh, you want, uh, uh, you know, as a user, I would like to place some orders on that restaurant so I can order my food, right? Someone will have to deliver that food and uh, let's call him or her a courier. Right. So we have a courier that is delivering the food and we have a restaurant that is essentially preparing a food in kitchen. So we can imagine that we have like uh, two systems there, two information systems. Uh, One is restaurant and managing a restaurant, like, you know, uh, creating a restaurant. Um, A restaurant can uh, uh, take the order. Uh, A restaurant kitchen can prepare the order. Uh, And uh, then it will delegate that, let's say, order to a courier. And courier can deliver that order to me so I can have a good lunch. Right. So that's that's uh, that's an imaginary system that or systems that we are creating in this case. So two of them. Mm -hmm. Right. Are these two systems two separate bounded contexts? Right. Uh, Let's check that out. So uh, obviously we have a concept of order uh, somehow is appearing on both places. So we have a concept of order within the restaurant, within the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And there, uh, let's say a chef uh, wants to prepare that order. So I can place that order and he needs some time or she needs some time to prepare that order, right? Right. And for that particular case, it is very important to know what are the ingredients of that order. So, you know, uh, I want to have some hamburger or I want to have some salad or some dressing on top of it, right? These these items are very important, right? right? For the restaurant itself. So if you imagine now an order as a concept, mm-hmm. maybe it's an aggregate, maybe it's just right. a food entity. We don't care yet, but right. it's a concept, right? Mm-hmm. And this is understanding of that concept that we have in the restaurant context. So that's why right. we call it a context because okay. uh, because in the kitchen for us it's very important the ingredients that are part of this order right. so what is the order uh, really uh, in uh, in courier information system right mm-hmm. for them it's not really important you know what are the ingredients right uh, what is important is the address or the location uh, where they need to deliver that Right. Right. So table number. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So in this context, right, the order is different. I mean, it's still the same name. It's still mm-hmm. the same concept, but maybe that aggregate, right, in in the courier context, mm-hmm. we need to model differently. And in this case, it, it will only maybe have like a couple of attributes, like address, maybe how uh, how much it weights, uh, because right. it can be important. Right. Uh, and that's it. We, we are not really flooding this uh, order concept in the courier context with more data than it should. Right. 
So you see, we are modeling essentially or implementing order as a concept right. in in restaurant mm -hmm. differently than in the courier. Right. So essentially, dry principle like don't repeat yourself really doesn't work across bounded context. Right. And now we are in a situation uh, in which we are modeling the same concept in two mm -hmm. places, in restaurant and in courier, but now they have a different meaning there. And that's right. why <clears throat> that's why we, we, we can now introduce ubiquitous, ubiquitous language, language. Right. As, uh, as one of the, let's say, also, uh, well, patterns, essentially, uh, exactly. in domain-driven design. Uh, and this is very important. I mean, uh, this is this is the reason why we are we can call this two separate contexts because uh, we are modeling this the same thing essentially, right? Mm -hmm. But using two different languages, using two different understandings and semantics of uh, of the same concept. Yeah. And uh, this is what bounded context really is. So you have to yeah. figure it out. Uh, where is the boundary? You know, uh, maybe in your organization. You don't have a restaurant uh, or a kitchen mm -hmm. and you don't have a courier, but maybe you're a bank and you're doing some simple accounting there, but also yeah. you have trading, like two different contexts. Exactly. And what is transaction in accounting and what is transaction in trading? These are two different things uh, because we are speaking two different languages and I think we should model them differently as well. Yeah. So, yeah, bounded context is uh, just essentially, you know, uh, constituting the boundaries Mm -hmm. of the language uh, and then uh, you know being very strict about it and modeling all the concepts all the aggregates all the entities all the value objects now uh, in uh, in un unique way in both of mm -hmm. in both of the contexts right yeah and one of the things that um, i thought was interesting uh, our ceo here at axonic uh, explained bounded yeah. context for the non-technical part of our own organization in a way that Think of um, different departments within an organization, and those can be called different bounded contexts. For example, you have marketing department. They have their own ubiquitous language uh, amongst themselves. You have sales department. You have uh, the HR department. You have the IT department. You have the support. You know, All of these uh, different departments can be um, sort of put in different contexts. Now, you can share certain... Um, for instance, uh, words or certain concepts within um, the organization as a whole in different departments, but they don't exactly mean the certain uh, thing that might be in the IT department as we refer to it, as it would be in the marketing department, for example, or the sales department. One of those things that I found interesting when I started working and learning more about uh, the world of uh, computer systems and things like that was the word client, right? Yeah. The word client in uh, our systems means something very differently than the word client does in the sales department, right? Those are two oh, different things. Yes, yes, right? definitely. So, two different things. <laughs> exactly. So you have this one word that uh, looking at it in, in terms of like English language, client is client, right? <laughs> you can say, okay, yeah, this is understandable. But when I was learning more about computer systems, it was one of those things that, you know, you look at it the first time, you're like, oh, yeah, client. And then you find out that it's completely <laughs> different from you what you thought it would be in terms of marketing or sales. So that's where we really emphasize on the importance of the ubiquitous language because you have to be in that specific context to have an understanding of what it actually is. 
And yes. so that was an example that I thought was really, really interesting to me, at least that it was like, oh yeah, okay, this is completely different. And if I say something like, oh, our client is using so-and-so within the marketing department, they would look at me funny because like, well, this, I don't know which client, first of all, you're talking about. Secondly, that's that's not true. This client wouldn't be interested in what you're talking about. <laughs> like, no, wait a minute, let me change my context and then <laughs> go back yes. to it. Exactly. Yes, exactly. I mean, <laughs> you, you have a good point there. But uh, we can also model this differently. For example, I was mentioning at the beginning, like we have these two information systems, like restaurant right. and courier, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we took this extra mile uh, to model the concept of order in both places, right? And now right. we have these uh, two information systems acting as two different bounded contexts, essentially, right? Mm -hmm. So we are good. Right. But what we can also do, we can also make a decision. Let's... You know, let's have these two information systems, okay? But mm -hmm. let's 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 make them one bounded context. So one bounded context actually can span multiple systems if you really mm -hmm. want to do that, right? right? I don't suggest you to do that, but uh, this is something uh, that can happen from time to time, right? You right. just have to be aware of it. And in this case, uh, you wouldn't have like order as an aggregate or as an entity as a model right. of a client, right? Yeah. Uh, in both places. No, you will have just one order and you will have to model that order with all attributes inside, like uh, ingredients plus address. Right. Uh, and uh, then these concepts will be shared as a model, as a unique Java class, maybe, uh, you know, between these two information systems. Yeah. Uh, and it, you will be in a situation uh, that maybe you have like, systems and you know it's just one bounded context spanning them together so when you see that this is happening you can change that uh and this is why i was telling before like don't repeat yourself really doesn't work like if you if you think uh, about bounded context as a pattern right mm -hmm. uh, you should be splitting this model uh in two and uh, you know make also both of these bounded contexts on that model, on that data accordingly, uh, uniquely, independently. Uh, and this is how you are going actually to decouple these two information systems because they are now bounded contexts, right? right. Each of them, mm -hmm. they have a great autonomy now. So uh, yeah. nothing is really shared. Uh, so all the data, uh, like, you know, the order, the restaurant order will exist, but also the courier order or the shipment will exist independently. Right. Uh, and, uh, and the data will be uh, also owned accordingly and independently by each of these systems. And this will give you autonomy. So now you can actually evolve mm -hmm. these two systems independently in time, in future. It will be much, much easier for you to do so than yeah. if these two systems would belong to just one big bounded context that thing cannot involve easily and uh, autonomously and, and independently, uh, you know, yeah. in my opinion. Definitely. So, so is it fair to say that uh, when you first start thinking about your different contexts within your domain, right, yeah. within the bigger picture, is it's really important, I think, for um, bounded context recognition, basically, is to figure out, what do you want this bounded context to include? Is that is that a fair assessment? Say, okay, I yes. want, for example, my bounded context for my kitchen system, for example, within a restaurant domain is, okay, I, I have uh, 
ingredients, for example, set up. I have different dishes. I have a menu that can rotate or cannot rotate, even something like that. And then within the context of my um, carrier or waiter or what have you, um, then the context is a little bit different because then we care about different things. So basically, is it fair to say, based on what kind of question you're trying to answer, similarly to how you would implement your requirements for a domain, you Mm. would basically use that, but in a smaller chunk to distinguish what your bounded contexts are within that domain. Yes, yes. I'm always uh, asking these questions like, uh, you know, and trying to figure it out. What is the difference in understanding and uh, uh, of the same concept? So uh, when I heard someone from the business is talking about the order, I'm I'm listening to that person very carefully, you know, and trying to understand uh, what is the meaning behind it, right? And then you can only make that decision by comparing that with other person from, let's say, other department in in your business. Um, and uh, if you are able to compare these two understandings or meanings of the same concept, then you can uh, then you can make that decision. Uh, hey, let's separate this. Let, let's you know let let's go that extra mile and model these as two different things, right? Also right. in the source code. When I'm talking about the model, I'm actually uh, talking about the source code. So it's not a drawing. It's not a picture and an image or a graph. It's actually a code. It's a class uh, yeah. or or some function, right? If uh, I need to model the behavior itself, right? Mm-hmm. So right. I'm talking about the code. When I, whenever I'm talking about the model, mostly I'm focusing on the code. Model can be more than code. Uh, usually documentation, uh, you know, graphs I just mentioned, uh, yeah. uh, di- di- diagrams, static things, like these are also part of your model, of, yeah. of course. But uh, let's focus on, on source code uh, mm-hmm. for, for, for this occasion. Yeah, definitely. So alongside the source code, as you as you mentioned, uh, yes, so we, we do model things and you mentioned aggregate uh, several times. So aggregate yes. is one of those things that um, we did an episode with Allard uh, on uh, the first season that I started mm-hmm. this, this podcast and it was all about aggregates. But it's such a... Um, an interesting topic because I feel like it keeps coming up in conversations and uh, mm-hmm. folks who are learning more about DDD concepts and event-driven architecture. It's one of those things that it's not super clear cut. We are always wondering what can be an aggregate, why it's an aggregate versus an entity. Can I just have an entity and not an aggregate? Can you explain what the difference uh, is between an entity and aggregate, first of all? And why would you then decide, or how would you rather decide to form an aggregate within your context? Yeah, yeah, that's a difficult question. To be honest, uh, I'm I, throwing all these lovely questions yeah. at you today, huh? <laughs> Sorry. I will try to answer, Sarah. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Uh, well. Uh, I think the blue book was written like a long time ago. I can't remember the year 2003, maybe, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So this was the this was the time when actually the I think uh, aggregate as a, as a pattern was coined. Yeah. And at that time, we were heavily influenced by object oriented programming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you, you know, even even then, 
you would realize that somehow <clears throat> like a database transaction was leaking into the concept of aggregate and aggregate essentially is just um, a boundary of transaction right it, it, it is constituting the transaction uh, 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 you know around your entity so right. what that really mean uh, let, let's let's explore that <clears throat> So it's an entity, right? Uh, it's a yeah. it's a cluster of entities. It's a cluster of objects uh, that should represent some sort of behavior. So <clears throat> it shouldn't be a, a simple noun, like for example, right. a order. Maybe a right. ordering is a better uh, name for our aggregates. So aggregates should actually model a process or part of the process in your business. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is actually how I imagine them, right? Yeah. But as we are influenced with this object-oriented design and, uh, you know, object relation mapping tools uh, from before, driven by CRUD systems and traditional systems, uh, we are usually imagining aggregate as just an entity or a cluster of entities. When I say cluster of entities, it can be that uh, you have a order, right, mm-hmm. as a as a as a main entity and this mm-hmm. order can have a list of order line items for example mm-hmm. and uh, we can say that order is a root entity and right. that all of these line items inside the list of line items are also entities right, right. Um, but uh, they belong to this root they belong mm-hmm. to this order root entity so we say that order with all of these line items together, it's forming an aggregate root, right? And right. so that's it. So this is an aggregate root. And mm-hmm. this cluster of objects, like all of it, is just one yeah. big aggregate, right? And these, there, there is always one aggregate root, uh, which is responsible for changing the state of this aggregate. So if you really want to change the state of this aggregate, let's say add mm-hmm. item to this order, you mm-hmm. need to go over that aggregate root. So you cannot right. really access these items independently. No, right. you have to ask <clears throat> order as the boss, as the root, hey, you know, add this item to, to yourself or, or something like that. And yeah, this well, order will then, yeah. Yeah, because it's, the, it's uh, sorry to interrupt you, because it's basically the um, point of, the main point of reference from the outside world. So if you want to communicate with this aggregate, you have to communicate with the root. You can't just <laughs> just access the other parts of the aggregate. Your only access yeah. is through the root. And I like that you said it's not just a simple noun when you when you name an aggregate. And one of the things that yes. always kind of makes me chuckle is Allard calls them uh, verby nouns, right? Yes. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good thing. Kind of like yeah, yeah. I think we should use that in marketing or something. <laughs> right. And, and another thing that I really liked that you mentioned is that all of the changes uh, when it comes to the data change or updating the state of this aggregate have to happen mm-hmm. all um, in, in one go. So it's sort of an, an atomic change, right? Yes. So, yes. And that change has to, again, as you mentioned, happen through the aggregate route, which is... Yes. So, basically the identifier of your aggregate right yes that's why we uh, that's why i was telling like aggregate is a transactional boundary or consistency exactly. boundary right? right because he is the boss or she is the boss and uh, <laughs> you know it will it will actually make sure that uh, the state is changed or nothing mm-hmm. happened right so right. Uh, the aggregate is responsible to do that uh, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, how do you make that decisions that order line items are just part of this uh, aggregate cluster, right? Uh, 
uh, or should they be like independent aggregate roots, right? Uh, maybe you can model that uh, in this way as well. For example, you have just an order uh, uh, as a one aggregate or one aggregate root, right? Right. And then you model all of these entities, like every order line item is a second aggregate root, right? Mm. Independent of it. And it's referencing the order by some ID, let's say order ID, for example. Right. That would be uh, a way of uh, modeling, uh, let's say, the order as well. Now I have like two aggregate roots, right? Independent. Uh, how do you make that decision? And essentially, this is uh, this is also not easy. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, always we have to discuss these transactional boundaries when we do so. And yeah. this should be like probably the first thing we are considering. Uh, what will happen if you break that big thing into two smaller chunks, two smaller aggregates? Mm-hmm. Uh, for some people, this is a rule of thumb. They would like to start with a smaller aggregates because they're easier to test, maybe easier to control, easier right. to make some sense out of them. Mm-hmm. But now you have like, uh, how can I integrate these two aggregates? Is there some invariant a business rule, for example, between them? Uh, I will give you an example. Can you create an order line item for an order that really doesn't exist? This yeah, is one simple invariant that will pop up very, very, very often. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and uh, this is now complicating things a bit, right? So you yeah. have to take care of that invariant and make sure that you cannot actually create an order if the uh, order line item, sorry, if the order really doesn't exist for that particular mm-hmm. moment. Right. And you should, let's say, reject that intent. Hey, you yeah. cannot do this, right? Sorry. In order to reject that, you need to communicate uh, now between these two aggregates an order line item has to ask order hey do you exist <laughs> yeah. uh, so I can actually it myself or maybe hey are you fine uh, with adding me into you right so uh, yeah. th- this is now opening this communication between these two concepts now right. because these are separate things and uh, could be that you will have to introduce something like a base transaction concept which is mm-hmm. Saga, essentially. So this is another concept I'm introducing here. It's not a domain-driven design pattern or concept, yeah. uh, but it heavily exists in practice, and it's used in this situation. So when you start splitting your bigger aggregates into smaller one, mm-hmm. uh, most of the time you would need this Saga to communicate yes. between them. And, uh, so it's basically like a communicator or a translator between your various yes. aggregates. Yeah. Definitely. And I think it's um, worth mentioning um, as you were talking about it. So if we wanted to um, have, for example, smaller aggregates for um, the business case that we have in hand, we decide that we want to um, either extract part of that first aggregate that we had and then create another aggregate and make them smaller so that they're um, basically each in charge of their own um, state changes and their own yes. Um, yes. Yeah, data management and things like that. So that's why we have then in this case, as you mentioned, two different aggregate routes, because now we're dealing with two different aggregates in the first place. And also another thing that can be confusing sometimes, and I've heard people asking, can you have a parent aggregate and a child aggregate? Well, my response, and I'll, I'll let you explain that as well, is usually, no, you cannot. You can't. Your aggregates shouldn't really depend on each other. You can have an aggregate member, which is an entity outside of your aggregate, which then 
communicates yes. with this aggregate and is a member of this aggregate, but then you can't have two separate aggregates. One is the parent and one is the child. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes, yes. So when you have one aggregate root, uh, you can have like uh, aggregate members, entities, uh, right. many of them you can have inside. Uh, mm-hmm. As I mentioned, you can choose to split them. Like uh, uh, aggregate member can now become a full-blown aggregate of, of its own. Right. In this case, you have like two of them. Uh, uh, there is a price, as I mentioned. If you split them, it's maybe easier to test, easier to make some sense out of it, but you still need to communicate them somehow. Usually, we use Saga as a pattern to do that because now you are responsible. So this is now a business transaction. You are not really in charge of uh, one transaction, one technical transaction, because as I mentioned before, aggregate is a transactional boundary. So yes. you don't have this boundary anymore on a technical level. So you yeah. now need to take care of it, right? So mm-hmm. still you have a need for this transaction in a way. Yeah. And uh, Saga is the right choice uh, to do it. it. It just can be a regular stateless Saga. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's not a business decision component. It's It should be a really dumb component, right? right. Uh, stateless if, if you can, uh, because it just need to communicate to two concepts, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Like smart endpoints and dumb pipes, right? And Saga would be a dumb pipe in this case. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, how do you make that decision? Uh, it really depends, right? From case mm-hmm. to case. Sometimes, right. obviously, it will introduce some complexity. As you can see now, you're introducing Saga. Mm-hmm. You have uh, one more component to take care of. If it is easier for you, keep it in a in a bigger like aggregate, right? And in this yeah. case, um, uh, technically, you don't have a, a issue anymore, and uh, uh, you know it's also covered on the from the business point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes uh, this can influence on concurrency because in this case, obviously, to let's say uh, update the item, let's say the quantity of the item, yeah, you have to go always through the through the route through the through the order itself right mm-hmm. and there is a price in, in in that as well because uh, you you have to always go through this route what if you are trying to change uh two different order line items but you know over the same route right so right. Uh, one will be rejected because uh, uh there is some let's say optimistic locking in place there and it's mm-hmm. a bigger thing uh, because it's a bigger transaction, right? Uh, more things uh, can be updated at the same time. Uh, two different l- order line items, for example, right. one could be rejected. Like mm-hmm. if you design it in a way uh, like, like yeah. that, one can be rejected and then you have to repeat that command, right? Because yeah. you're violating um, uh, your uh, uh, transaction in a way, consistency, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah exactly. So it's, uh, I think in, um, as a whole, the way I think of it, (laughs) tell me if I'm completely (laughs) off here, but the way I look at uh, these sort of um, architectural patterns and decision makings is that Mm. normally the way I look at it is, okay, so you uh, think of a tree, think of a big grown tree. So the trunk of the tree for me is that domain. Yeah. Then as you go to the main branches, those are your bounded contacts. And within those bounded contacts, you have smaller branches, which can be your aggregates. Yeah. Very, very simply high level put. Does yes. that, yes. Does that exactly. sound good? Can That's I, can I visualize it like that? Yes. 
<laughs> awesome. I think that would help, uh, you know, imagine that because I, I think a lot of times, especially as we become more experienced in, um, in a way in working with these concepts, then mm. sometimes we make it a little bit more complex than it should be in our minds. Um, and it's nice to every once in a while to kind of step back, step back and say, okay, so what is the big picture? What is that? How can I simplify it in my mind to be able to then um, talk about it in a way that it's not too uh, overly technical or complex a lot of times, which, which I find um, interesting and also challenging sometimes. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. You have to step away from the technology sometimes to be like, okay, now this makes more sense because now I can just kind of look at it as a, as a tree in my case. Yes, yes, yes. So, yeah, hopefully. Actually, this I had uh, this mind map uh, 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 when I was start learning about all of these concepts and start reading about them, right? Yeah. Uh, it took some time, you know, reading these right. books. It's, it's difficult. I mean, it's time consuming. And well, then, and very abstract, too, because... And very it's, abstract, yes. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's not something that you can practically look at and say, oh, yeah, cool, I've, I've seen this before. That makes sense. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so I, I started drawing these mind maps on, on, on Miro, for example. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, yeah, somehow uh, I'm this kind of learner, right? So I, I like to uh, actually... When I see that I cannot explain a term or something, at least to me, or maybe draw it uh, on, on some diagram, then I start wondering, maybe I don't understand this, right? And mm -hmm. and I'm fair about it, right? Even right. to myself. So uh, only when I'm able to explain that something, right, to someone, yeah. <laughs> uh, or at least draw it on a, on a board, uh, mm -hmm. then then I'm, I feel confident that maybe, hey, maybe I do understand this thing, right? You know, it's always like um, I, I often come back to this because when I studied, I studied music in um, both undergraduate and grad school. And when you're an undergrad, which is really funny, and I, I found this sort of funny in a really non-funny way because <laughs> when you're a student and you're struggling to kind of you know, have uh, pass your classes and have good grades and you know all of that stuff and you get so into the complexity of things for, for instance one of the things that I was struggling with as an undergraduate was music theory music theory is very abstract it's very much mm -hmm. like math you you have to find a way to make it more practical for yourself to be able to understand and now when they're teaching it as an undergraduate as you know as a younger person and you're going through all of these different technicality of things and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but cool. I'm just going to memorize this just so I can pass my test. And sometimes it works some more often than not. It doesn't because you have to understand the concept. Yes. Now, you know, I, I went through all of that pain and misery and passed the classes. And when I went to grad school, I went into my music theory, um, graduate seminar they were not classes anymore they were called seminars because you would sit around this one table and you discuss your you know big ideas or whatever and i remember the first day we go in um the professor says so you remember all of the stuff that you struggled with in undergraduate and you learned and you memorized mm -hmm. and all of that and you're like uh-huh uh-huh yeah 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 <laughs> you have all these thick books with you. you're like okay i can reference to this if you ask me anything and he says throw that all away and let's redesign what you learned in music theory in a way that a five-year-old can understand oh, it. Yeah. 
And it was so difficult to do that, right? Yes, yes. You have all of these jargon and all of these um, really technical things in your mind. And you're like, wait a minute, I have to... How to to unlearn, how to unlearn things. Relearn this thing. Yeah, exactly. Remove these constraints of the previous frameworks we learn, right? So we can can adopt the next uh, good thing, right? (laughs) And I remember for for my graduate... um, a thesis and for my recital we had to perform it of course I was a performance major so I was a voice major I had to learn and memorize all these uh, different songs and then but then my thesis what I had to um, analyze all of these uh, different musical mm. pieces and one of the things that I had to analyze was uh, Strauss's um, four last songs mm. for those of you who are not familiar with it highly recommend them they're beautiful <laughs> if you're into classical music so sitting down and trying to analyze these things you're like okay so this is this chord and i can analyze them in big sections and then you go into smaller pieces and you analyze and so forth and there was several different parts that i couldn't figure out what the progression was in in this piece of music and i went to my graduate advisor and i sat down with him and i said okay i really can't figure out what is the chord progression what where are we going in this thing and he said you know how to analyze this he said how he said just squiggle all through it because there is no analysis here. It's a free form. He just yeah. used what he thought was beautiful and that's it. So my <laughs> my big conclusion to this is that sometimes when it comes, comes down to analyzing things and how you want to format your uh, system, there are, there are ways to really put them in bigger chunks. But when it comes down to it, you just have to go with what you're, what, your gut feeling is if you're if you're for example designing a system maybe mm-hmm. and then as you go on and you learn more about your requirements and changes in in the system then you can go and fix as you go so the point of it is that you don't have to in my opinion at least you don't have to have everything set in stone in your design from the get-go no 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 no. you go with it and then you change your requirements you change your system mm-hmm. you you change your bounded context you can change your bounded context if you need to of you can't change you can. your aggregates if you need to yeah. in the future. Boundaries are really not clear, never ever, right? So uh, yeah. we can just give uh, an uh, you know best guess essentially. Exactly. Uh, exactly. What is important that uh, we are practical about it and we are aware of this thing, right? Yeah. So when, for example, you are um, uh, I don't know modeling a system, be aware essentially that boundaries will move. Forward. Right, exactly. You should be able to move with them. So yeah. when you're starting doing your thing, uh, let's keep it a monolith. Why not? And uh, arrange things in a monolith application, right? Uh, uh, think about the boundaries because in a monolith situation, I mean, pragmatically, it would be much easier to play with these boundaries and to learn. Mm-hmm. As mm-hmm. we go forward uh, with this design, we'll learn about the business. We'll learn about what really works and what really doesn't. And also business learn from us. You would be surprised, Sarah, in these modeling sessions that I have with our customers, prospects, and clients. Mm -hmm. I learn a lot about the business, but also they learn about the business as well, about their own business. Right, right? exactly. Uh, So it's very nice to have all of these uh, domain uh, experts in the same room as Mm -hmm. as I'm in. uh, So we can all learn about the business. And then we together make decisions. Uh, They are the boundaries. It's a best guess that we can give, right? Exactly. Uh, And and it's also very nice if this boundary can move later on 
or left or right if really needed, right? Right. Uh, so your system is uh, maintainable and flexible right, exactly. enough so we can do that. This is very important to design in a, in a way that so we can do that. Mm-hmm, exactly. And I think um, that's why these modeling tools that we have available for us, such as event storming or event modeling that you and I have worked with. Oh, yes. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, yes. quite extensively. And we just had a workshop on it last week at JCon. Yeah, Those are really helpful because um, it kind of gives you a, a blueprint and a storyline and the sort of quote unquote right questions to ask about the yes. domain. That way you can model it and you design it. And one of the things that I find very interesting and wonderful to look at as you mentioned when you have meetings with clients and looking at their um, models and their domain and things they learn about their system as well as you oh, do yes. about their system yes. it's so yes. important and it evolves and um, Adam Dimitrov who came up with the, basically the idea of um, domain modeling and uh, organizing modeling. oh I'm sorry event modeling thank you yes. and organizing it in, in a very nice and uh, understandable way is that um, he has these regular meetups, and if you show up to one of his meetups and you look at the at the mirror board, it's at first glance it seems really complex, but then you have to look at it sort of further um, at a higher level to understand how this has evolved um, in time. And it's it's evolving every week. They sit down and they add stuff to it or they take away things, and it's it it's a it's a changing pattern. It's moving and it's interesting to look at. So. Um, yeah, so lots yeah. to talk about. <laughs> lots uh, there really... is a lot of topics we can actually talk about. <laughs> exactly. uh, event modeling is really interesting, like a workshop format. It's actually more than that. It's, yeah. it's very similar to uh, event storming. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end, uh, I think uh, the user experience at the top that we add quite early in event modeling process is very exactly. helpful because yeah. I, I think that we should introduce uh, user experience quite early in the process. It's very important, right? Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, it gives you like the flow of your business. Like uh, we are actually modeling a, a information system. So information is very important and you really want to know how this information is changing over the time. And for this particular reason, we are uh, maybe uh, categorizing all of these messages as commands, events and queries. Uh, this is exactly how we have it in Exxon Framework. And Exxon Framework is really a perfect match if you're really doing event modeling yeah. uh, as a workshop format uh, somewhere. Uh, think about using Exxon Framework as well as a good programming Absolutely. model that is already supporting uh, all of these things out of the box. So you don't have to take care about the infrastructure. Yeah. This is what I'm doing, Sarah. So exactly. <laughs> and this is this is one of the things that I, I really like to join yeah. forces with you and do um, when whenever we get an opportunity to do so. And I do want to come back and really talk about um, event modeling and Axon framework um, at, a, at another session, because that's a whole big topic in and itself. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, to go back. To I'd Apple, love to yeah. Yeah, do that with you some at some point. Yeah. But go ahead. Yeah. Just to, to mention this, Sarah, please, uh, I don't I don't want to spend much time. No, no, you're fine. Uh, to talk about aggregates and all of these patterns we mentioned, like uh, stat, uh, uh, strategic and tactical, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Aggregates are tactical pattern, but, you know, it was coined a long time ago, and we have to realize uh, mm-hmm. this is our responsibility as engineers uh, and uh, domain-driven design practitioners, right? Yeah. That 
these patterns also have to evolve, right? Exactly. And it's Absolutely. our responsibility to think about and rethink them. Maybe there is a better way of describing them, right? Right. Uh, and uh, they shouldn't be like written in stone. It's, oh, absolutely not. Yeah. It's similar like with heuristics. So uh, you mentioned before that you just gonna mention, yeah. unlearn some things, right? In music. Right. So it's yeah. same here. Sometimes mm-hmm. we have to not give up on them, but uh, right. you know, rethink them. Maybe there is a better way. Event modeling showed me another way of thinking about the aggregates. And mm-hmm. actually, mm-hmm. when I was doing event modeling and um, you know introducing this flow information, uh, and right. it was quite visual. I start understanding that actually aggregates are more than just simple noun. They, they can be actually modeling a process uh, with aggregate. And maybe ordering is a better name for my yeah. aggregate than the order, right? So uh, think about that as well. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a really interesting uh, thing that's going on. So yeah. it's also our responsibility. We have to think about and rethink all of these patterns, aggregates included. Absolutely. And this is one of the main topics that I spoke with uh, Rebecca Wersbrock a while ago, um, because she's done such amazing work in terms of patterns and uh, responsibility-driven um, design and all of that. And, and heuristics, uh, yes. And heuristics, yeah. Yes. And her and I were talking about the importance of these changing patterns and these evolving patterns. As you mentioned, they're not set in stone. They do need to change because our requirements um, in general change and evolve all the time. Like we talked about it, you and I, a while ago about languages. Languages change and evolve. So do patterns. So do heuristics. And so it's really important to go back and reevaluate some of these concepts and see what's actually working and what needs a little bit of tweaking and a little bit of TLC to kind of elevate it a little bit, if you would. So it's really, really interesting. I will definitely come back and talk to you more about event modeling and uh, Axon Framework specifics, uh, because I think that's one of the really um, amazing topics that we can we can talk for hours about. And it's it's, an Axon Framework. Yeah, it's really good for CQRS as well, because um, it really separates your command and query models. And so that's another thing that uh, I would love to have a chance to chat with you about. at another time. But I really want to appreciate you being here today and uh, talking to me. I know this was a uh, sort of a unplanned talk, but I'm always <laughs> super excited to have these unplanned talks with you. So thank, thank you for you. letting me record it and uh, share it with everybody. Appreciate your time. Thank you for inviting me, Sarah. Absolutely. My pleasure. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. You as well. Talk to you. Ciao. Thank you so much for listening to my talk with Ivan. I hope you enjoyed it. Please join me next time as I discover other important and interesting topics. Until then, have a great time and happy coding.